Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our Holy Father, our Holy Father, we humbly ask of you now, as we reopen your word, to hear it taught, to hear it proclaimed. We pray that such hearing would not be in vain for any one of us here today. We therefore ask that the Holy Spirit would greatly accompany both the preaching and the hearing thereof of your holy word. That at the end of this time, Father, that we will hear your word expounded in truth. That we will be changed because of it. By the power of the Spirit, through the mediation of Christ, and on account of his saving merits. In our place, for his sake, we pray. Amen and amen. I invite you to take God's word and let's turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We've been out of John 8 for the last two weeks. And so it's good to return back. And we will start reading in the 8th chapter of John in verse 37 and reading to verse 47, verses 37 to 47 of John chapter 8. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So says the infallible, inerrant, Sufficient, authoritative word of the living, eternal God. In September 1874, in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, an unusual gathering of nearly 500 people assembled for a family reunion. They were descendants of Jonathan Edwards, America's greatest theologian. For this special occasion, Yale University provided several accommodations, among which was memorabilia from the Edwards family, such as the wedding dress worn by Edwards' wife, Sarah, and the silver bowl from which Edwards ate his nightly porridge. The gathering itself teemed with professors, business executives, 
government officials, ministers, and according to one account, women of unusual beauty and force of personality. Expressing the mood of the reunion, the initiator of the event said to everyone present, let God be praised for such a man, referring, of course, to Jonathan Edwards. His remarks were followed by many laudatory speeches that excited the glee of Jonathan Edwards' descendants. All in all, it was as proud a celebration of ancestry as has ever been held in America. A study by the New York Genealogical and Historical Society reported, perhaps no two people married since the beginning of the 18th century have been the progenitors of so many distinguished persons as was Jonathan Edwards and his wife, Sarah Parapont. 26 years following this family reunion in the year 1900, a study of Edwards' descendants was conducted, conducted with what has now become one of the most famous statistics regarding one American family. From this single union of Jonathan Edwards and Sarah Parapont came 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers and a dean of an outstanding law school, 30 judges, 66 physicians and a dean of a medical school, and 80 holders of public office, among them three United States senators, mayors of three large cities, governors of three states, a vice president of the United States, and a controller of the United States Treasury. Wow. Reviewing this catalog of Edwards' descendants, one writer remarked, there is scarcely any great American industry that has not had one of this family among its chief promoters. What many have concluded then regarding Edwards' physical descendants is that having an industrious, godly ancestry is to one's advantage. But such a conclusion, however, is misspoken at best and deluded at worst. That's because the highest ranking member in public life from, his, from this bloodline became one of the most godless American villains in American history. His name is Aaron Burr, Jr. Despite serving as Vice President of the United States and a Senator of New York preceding that, Aaron Burr, Jr. would prove to be a man whose character was the very opposite of his grandfather, Jonathan Edwards. Burr rejected the Christian faith entirely. He murdered Alexander Hamilton, committed treason against his country for which he was tried, and plotted to crown himself Emperor of Mexico. Musing on Aaron Burr, Jr.'s character in life, one poet said of him, Eight lines of clergymen converged to meet in Aaron Burr, but Aaron was Beelzebub in mocking miniature. The obvious lesson we should draw from this account is notwithstanding the immense value of a godly heritage, even this kind of lineage doesn't guarantee godly character in all its descendants. In other words, no matter how many outstanding Christians you may have in your natural bloodline, such a kinship will not automatically get you in God's kingdom. Aaron Burr Jr., therefore, had no hope of salvation in his grandfather, Jonathan Edwards. Burr's only hope is the only hope of all sinners to be right with God, which is in Jesus Christ alone. Now, with this said, we turn our attention this morning to John chapter 8, verses 37 through 47, where this false hope 
in a godly heritage as a rite of passage in God's kingdom is confronted head on by none other than Jesus Christ our Lord. Since John chapter 8 and verse 12, we have been witnessing a growing hostility from the Jews toward Jesus as our Lord has been more intensely overt in his claims and declarations as the only assurance anyone has of eternal redemption. But the exchange recorded in verses 37 through 47 between Jesus and the Jews is the most aggressive and blunt than any other out of all four Gospels. As one commentator observed, this is where Jesus takes the gloves off. What Jesus addresses in this passage are two claims the Jews make as to why they assumed they were right with God. First, we'll see Jesus answering the Jews' physical claim. And then second, Jesus answers the Jews' spiritual claim. To begin with, then, let's see how Jesus answers the Jews' physical claim. Reading verses 37 through 41. Jesus says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet... You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Verse 37 opens up with Jesus affirming the claim the Jews made back in verse 33. Where they asserted, we are offspring of Abraham. Jesus therefore says in response to that, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. But while Jesus didn't deny the validity of their physical lineage to Abraham, he also knew that it was this biological kinship in which the Jews banked most all their security for guaranteed entrance in God's kingdom. In fact, what the Jews of that time really believed about Abraham is that because he was so godly, then he had stored up a vast treasury of merit out of which his Jewish descendants could draw from and attain righteousness. This very belief among the Jews is what the second century Christian apologist Justin Martyr confronted in a dialogue with a Jew named Trypho. Trypho argued to Justin Martyr that the eternal kingdom will be given to all the natural seed of Abraham even if... Now listen to this, even if they are sinners and unbelievers and disobedient to God. Their bloodline to Abraham then was their hope and redemption regardless of what they believed or even how they lived. But Trypho was only echoing to Justin Martyr the tradition which his Jewish ancestors had passed on to him. A tradition which we see Jesus now exposing for the false assurance it amounted to. And so leaving the general fact of their physical lineage to Abraham, Jesus moves quickly to unmask their unbelief. Our Lord says, continuing in verse 37, Yet you seek to kill me. These words, Jesus begins now to set a stark contrast between Abraham and these Jews. Unlike Abraham, who Jesus says later in this chapter in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. In other words, Abraham looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, who would be the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to him. Yet these Jews, proudly claiming their kinship to Abraham, are seeking to kill Jesus, the very Messiah, for whom Abraham set all his hope. Furthermore, unlike their father Abraham, who believed God's word, Jesus' word, which is the word of God's eternal Son, and thereby God's word, finds no place in these Jews. 
In fact, this is one reason the Jews were seeking to kill Jesus. Reading verse 37 again, Jesus says, Yet you seek to kill me because, note that, because my word finds no place in you. The term translated finds no place is the Greek word koreo, which means to make room for, to advance, to go forward. Despite the fact that the Jews heard Jesus' word, yet they never heeded to and believed what Jesus said. His word advanced no further in them than what they heard with their physical ears. Like the seed that fell along the path in the parable of the sower, the word Jesus proclaimed to them gained no entrance in their hearts. But explaining the logical implication of their hardened hearts, Jesus asserts in verse 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. All the pronouns in that text are emphatic. A clear separation. Why is it that the Jews are seeking to murder Jesus? And why is it further that his word finds no home in their hearts? What Jesus states here as a matter of fact is that the real problem is a difference in parentage. Parentage. In other words, let's see who is your real father. What do your words and actions indicate? What do they signal as the stamp left by your father? Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my father. This is, of course, another claim to our Lord's deity. And here Jesus is insisting that his doctrine, what he teaches, indeed what he always teaches, is only what he has always seen with his Father in the eternal counsels of the Godhead. The Jews, however, were always doing what their Father had instilled in their minds and imbibed in their characters under his influence. So Jesus, therefore, is stating to the Jews, your actions tell who your father is as my doctrine tells who my father is. And the father Jesus is connecting to the Jews is none other than the devil, which our Lord will, in verse 44, say very directly to them. But his point here is that neither Abraham nor the God of Abraham was their true spiritual father. Now, the Jews caught this. <laughs> they caught this. And so in verse 39, they strongly insist, Abraham is our father. By this claim, they're not merely repeating their biological kinship to Abraham, but contending to be Abraham's spiritual children. We know this is what they meant by what Jesus says in response to this affirmation. Reading the rest of verse 39 to the beginning of verse 41, Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. While Jesus acknowledged the Jews' physical seed to Abraham, yet here, here, he is denying them the claim to be Abraham's spiritual children. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Now, that raises the obvious question. Well, what were Abraham's works? Well, they were very simply faith in God's word and obedience to it. 
Faith in God's word and obedience to it. But this is not what these Jews could prove by their works. Instead, as Jesus charges them, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. How far removed, how far removed were these physical descendants of Abraham from who Abraham really was as God's friend, a man of faith, and the living, eternal God. All they wanted to do, these Jews, in response to God's son, was to kill him. That's all they wanted to do. They just wanted to kill him. And by such murderous hatred, and even plotting how they might go about to fulfill this hatred, they betrayed beyond question that they had no spiritual connection to Abraham whatsoever. Making the application from this fact, A.W. Pink wrote, Natural descent counts for nothing. It is a spiritual relationship with God which is the great requirement. The profession of our lips amounts to nothing at all if it be not confirmed by the character of our lives. Talk is cheap. It is our works, what we do, which evidences what we really are. A tree is known by its fruits. The works of Abraham were works of faith and obedience, faith in God and submission to his word. But his word had no place in them. Idle then was their boast. Equal so is that of multitudes today who say, Lord, Lord, but do not do the things which Christ has commanded. No, the real works of these Jews is what Jesus maintains in verse 41. You are doing the works your father did. Repeating and building what he said of them in verse 38. Jesus is once again making the startling and stark contrast between these Jews and Abraham. Abraham was not a murderer. Yet, the, yet these Jews sought to murder Jesus. Abraham obeyed and loved the truth while they, these Jews, furiously rejected it. Abraham welcomed God, but they, these Jews, rejected him. And so is it any wonder then that our Lord says of these Jews, you, and that's emphatic, you, you alone, you here, are doing the works your father did. In other words, you are doing the things that your father, the devil, approves and suggests to you. They were thus showing themselves to be genuine children of the devil by doing his works. So much then for the physical claim. The Jews were holding their security in for a place in God's kingdom. Big deal. Jesus renounced it. He renounced it as nothing but a sandy foundation upon which their faith was built. It was no good. It was useless. They knew nothing of Abraham's faith despite the fact that they shared in his blood. But from answering the physical claim which the Jews made to be right with God. We now move on to see how Jesus answers the Jews' spiritual claim. Reading verses 41 to 47. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. 
Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. It should go without saying that the Jews were infuriated beyond measure. They retort, we were not born of sexual immorality. This was, in, this was undoubtedly a disparaging reference to the controversy surrounding Jesus' birth. What they were audaciously implying is that unlike his birth, theirs was legitimate. This is what you call hitting below the belt. Now they're getting nasty. And nasty with what amounts to nothing but slander. But from this they contend, we have one Father, even God. What do they mean by that? Well, what is perhaps in their mind here are such Old Testament passages as Exodus 4.22. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Or Jeremiah 31 in verse 9, I am a father to Israel. And Ephraim is my firstborn. Based on these passages and many others, it was true to Israel in a national sense. Now understand that, in a national sense, that God was their father. But spiritually, God is only the father to those who come to faith in his eternal son and the sinner's only mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ our Lord. But for these Jews, their national sonship was equal to having spiritual sonship. They saw no difference between the two. It is for this reason then that Jesus moves forward with this response in verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. What Jesus clearly maintains in this passage is that despite the fact that the Jews were God's children by a national covenant, yet they were not his children by grace and spiritual birth. How do we know this? It's very simple. They did not love God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If God were your father... What does Jesus say? You would love me. I wonder, can it get any plainer? I don't believe it can. Love to Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Love to Jesus Christ is the infallible mark of all true children of God. The infallible mark of all true children of God. If you would know, if you would know, if you're an authentic, born-again child of God, here is one of the distinctive tests. Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love Jesus Christ? So to these Jews, Jesus is contending that if they were truly the children of God, they would love him. The Lord Jesus, they would love him who came from God and was sent by God. This is why it was vain and idle to talk of God as their father since they had nothing but hatred for his son and wanted nothing but to kill him. No, the truth is these Jews did not even love God the Father since they hated his son. That's right. In fact, 
This is the very thing Jesus will tell his apostles in the upper room in John 15 and verse 23. Listen to this. Jesus says, whoever hates me hates my father also. Whoever hates me hates my father also. So then, let's understand this. An inherent character trait of a true child of God is genuine love for his son, Jesus Christ. Genuine love for Christ. But moving further in verse 43, Jesus poses a very searching question to which he gives the sobering answer. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. The essence of what Jesus is charging against these Jews is only revealing more of the real problem. Since they claim God is their father then why were the words of God's Son so obscure to them? What Jesus spoke came from the Father. His word was the Father's word, since He and the Father are one in nature, as the one true God. But for these Jews, their rejection of God's Son and the word He spoke only proved their spiritual unbelief. Jesus says to them, you cannot bear to hear my word. By the verb cannot is referring to a moral inability. They had no ear for God, no heart for his word, no desire to learn his will. The disposition of their heart was fixed in a whole different direction than that of God and His Son. This is why Jesus proceeds now in verse 44 to declare the most shocking thing of all to these religiously smug, self-righteous Jews. Verse 44, Jesus says, You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. No more implications. Now it is just the hard, unvarnished truth. Notwithstanding their natural kinship to Abraham or their national covenant with God as Israel, spiritually and morally, Jesus unveils their true spiritual father who is the devil. The character of these Jews had been formed not by God's divine influence, but under the devil's diabolical influence. What was so ingrained and settled in their sinful nature in all the works that proceeded from it showed them to be the devil's true children. Their will in bondage to sin was nothing, was to do nothing but the devil's desires. Since he therefore is a murderer and a liar, indeed the father of lies, then his spiritual children like these Jews and like all unbelievers bear his likeness in their sin. Their intolerance and rejection of the truth Jesus preached and their ambition to murder him betrayed beyond question who is their real father. And so bearing the likeness in their sinful nature to their true spiritual father, the devil, Jesus then draws the logical conclusion 
which is not only true of these unbelieving Jews, but as, but as I just said, this holds true for all unbelievers in every age. In every age. So just pause for a moment. Think of that. Think of the people you know in your life that are non-Christians, that are unbelievers. Do you ever once even consider what Jesus says here? Of them. Do you ever once consider they're children of the devil? They are actually children of the devil. Satan is their spiritual father. Do you ever once, dear Christian, ever once think about that when you are in connection with an unbeliever? Oh, no. I'm much too spiritual. I'm not going to dare think of unbelievers in that way. I mean, Jesus is just not nice. He's just so harsh. There are a lot of people in the church that would actually respond that way. No, Jesus is the truth. He doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth. And the truth speaks. And the truth says, the truth says what we in our flesh don't want to hear. And we don't like. That family member of yours is an unbeliever who you love so much and you think is so nice. They're a child of the devil. They're a child of the devil. And if you sit there and deny that, your problem is not with me. Your problem is with Christ. That's your problem. If you sit there and say that's not true, preacher, I don't, I don't agree with you. I disagree with you. Hey, friend, you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your problem is with his word, not mine. I'm so sick and tired of the mamsy-pamsy evangelism that goes on. You know, Friendship evangelism. Let's do friendship. And we'll never tell them the truth. We'll never tell them the hardcore truth. Here's what your real problem is. We think it's too harsh. We think it's not nice. Well, the real problem is the fear of man. We're too afraid to tell the whole truth because we don't want to upset them and we don't want to offend them. And, you know, hey, Jesus didn't read Dale Carnegie how to win friends and influence people, but I did. I know how to do this. Well, I'm going to follow his example. And yes, I have said to certain individuals in the past, you're nothing but a child of the devil. And that's why you're doing what you're doing. That's why you're reacting to the truth of God's word the way you're reacting to God's word. People say, well, I guess you didn't get all that far with them. Nope. That ended that conversation. But look at how far Jesus got with these, these Jews. In fact, when we get to the end of John chapter 8, what do we see them doing? They're picking up stones to kill him. Well, if we claim to be a follower of Christ, I mean, need I say more? You're going to follow his example. Here it is. Here it is. We're not dealing with people that are just unchurched that's, 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 the, that's the way worldly churches talk about unbelievers they're just unchurched no they're not they're children of the devil well 
What is the conclusion, logically, that our Lord now draws concerning all unbelievers? In verses 45 to 47, Jesus declares, But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let's think through what he's saying. Since the devil does not stand in the truth, and that's what Jesus has just told us about the devil. He doesn't stand in the truth. And because he doesn't stand in the truth, the reason for that is because there's no truth in him. Well, then his spiritual children, now make the connection here, then his spiritual children will have no interest, no taste, no hunger, no desire for the truth of God's words. None whatsoever. I want you to think about this. For those of you who have ever read this passage before, have you ever considered this? If Jesus were to have spoken lies to these Jews, the Jews would have believed him. If he had told them lies, the Jews would have believed him. But because he told them the truth, they hated everything he said. It is only a true child of God, a true child of God, who hears with pleasure who believes and obeys with joy the words of God. But to those who cannot hear and believe and obey the words of God, they are simply proving conclusively whose children they really are. They are not God's children. They are the devil's. So... How do we conclude this? Well, I'll conclude it by asking you a question. Whose imprint is displayed in your life? Whose imprint, I-M-P-R-I-N-T, whose imprint is displayed in your life? Until God becomes your Father through Jesus Christ, Understand, there, there can be only one other who marks you as his own. Only one other. Whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, Jesus says plainly that those who reject him are of the devil with their wills bent to do his desires. So, I ask you an honest, fair, legitimate question which this very passage presses on us to ask. Who marks you as his child? Who marks you as his child? Is it God? Or is it the devil? Let me leave you with two questions to test yourself with. Okay? Two questions to test yourself. Are you a child of God or a child of the devil? Here it is. Number one. Do you love and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you love and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Number two, do you love and obey God's Word? Do you love and obey God's Word? What am I not asking? I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer. 
signed a card, raised her hand, made a decision. There is none of that here. In fact, do you see Jesus saying anything like that in the passage we have studied this morning? Uh, no. No. Do you love and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It's a simple question. It's a very simple question. And do you love and obey God's word? In the book of 1 John, the Apostle John takes up this theme about two different families, the children of God and the children of the devil. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn there, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And I'm just going to read the first ten verses. And then say amen. But this says it all. John, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we, will be, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him... The hymn here is Jesus Christ, purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God... And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, We have been greatly privileged by you, Lord, this morning to weigh in and open up a portion of your holy word that is so sobering, so somber, and really exposes what is at the true heart of all unbelief in all unbelievers. And Father, we, we ask of you that as much as our flesh would resist the truth of your word this morning and not wanting to see perhaps certain unbelievers in our own lives personally as children of the devil, Lord, give us the grace to resist the fear of man in our flesh and to trust with our whole heart the truth of your word and be obedient to it. Your word has revealed to us this morning there are only two spiritual families in the universe. 
children of God and children of the devil. And Father, for many of us here in this congregation, we thank you for your sovereign and saving grace that has rescued us from our former spiritual parent, has taken us out of that kingdom of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of light, your kingdom, the kingdom of the Son of your love, Jesus Christ. We will forever thank you, O God, for such a deliverance. But Lord, we do pray earnestly that you will have the same saving mercy that you have shown even to us on many people in our own lives that we are connected with who we know even at this moment, at this hour, are settled in darkness and who are, as a matter of fact and truth, children of the devil. Lord, we pray, set them free from that awful captivity. Liberate them even today. We trust in you. We cast our cares on you, Lord, for only this great work that you, that you can bring to pass. For this is not something man can do. This has to be and must be the work of God in Christ because salvation is of the Lord. And so we trust in you for such grace and mercy that you will visit unbelieving children of the devil, liberating them from that horrible bondage to the enemy of our souls. We thank you for this in Jesus' name and for his sake.